0: Hello and welcome to Theology Matters. This is Dr. John Clark, and today we want to continue our study that we've been looking at on eternal security. And in this next round of sessions, we want to consider uh, how our position in Christ is such an argument, strong argument for our eternal security. And then hopefully as as we understand the benefit of our position in Christ and that high and lofty valuable position that we've been placed in by God the Father, uh, that we would also gain additional assurance of our salvation. And one of the things we've got to understand about our the truth of our position as Christ um, is that you can be in no better position than you already are as a believer in Jesus Christ. You are in the safest, the highest, the most privileged position in the history of the world. And uh, again, this is going to provide us with another strong argument as to why someone can never lose their salvation. Before we get into the study, let's just do a quick review. I've been borrowing the definition from our friends at Duluth Bible Church on eternal security, which reads this, eternal security means that one who has been genuinely saved by God's grace through faith alone in Jesus Christ alone, shall never be in danger of God's condemnation or loss of his salvation, but are kept forever saved and secure by god's grace and power and so as we've said before many other uh, different ways your eternal security does not depend upon your feeble hold on jesus christ but on his firm grip uh, on you and and so this is why when we talk about uh, salvation and the assurance of salvation it's not determined by the nature of our faith, you know, many people try to define faith as, you know, saving faith, enduring faith, true faith. Um, they try to qualify faith with these adjectives. The scriptures don't qualify faith uh, with those types of adjectives. Um, it's not, you know, our assurance of salvation uh, and, and eternal security is not determined by the productivity of our faith. You know, people will say, well, you've got to have working faith. you got to have fruitful faith. You have to have, uh, pr- you know, pr- producing faith or faith that produces, um, because it's not, it's not determined uh, by, what you, by what you do. A- again, it's not determined by the kind of faith or the amount of faith. The issue in salvation, as we look at it biblically, is the object of our faith. And the question, rather than the type of faith that you have that we need to ask one another is who or what have you trusted in? And see, this is why the Bible uh, over and over and over again, over 160 times in the New New Testament, makes belief the only issue in salvation. And it's why also that it's the condemning factor in a person's life as to whether or not they go to hell. It's not their sins. Sin is no longer a condemning factor. Why? Because God has provided a solution for the penalty of sin. And so now the issue is, will you believe or trust in God's solution alone for your sin penalty. And again, what was God's solution? Sending his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for your sins, to pay the penalty in full. God convincing us and persuading us that he accepted Jesus Christ's sacrifice in your place as your substitute. How did he do that? He raised him from the dead. So very important that when we talk about, Uh, eternal security, and we talk about assurance. Again, it's not your feeble hold on Jesus Christ. It's his firm grip on you. Who or what are you trusting in the object of your faith is the most important thing. And remember, when we talk about eternal security, we're talking about the certainty of a person's salvation from God's viewpoint. God clearly knows who has and who has not trusted in the finished work of his son. And so eternal security from God's viewpoint can be determined at a moment in time when somebody trusts in the in the Lord Jesus Christ and his finished work. Assurance, on the other hand, reflects the certainty of a person's salvation from their own viewpoint or from man's viewpoint. And that's what we're talking about. That oftentimes fluctuates either uh, through people not being grounded in solid teaching, uh, their thinking not aligned with God's word, uh, maybe, maybe people are convinced that if they commit a certain sin and they are no longer saved, or if they uh, commit a certain kind of consistency of sin, they may not be saved, but what we hope to do in this, in this short study is to align our viewpoint with, with the divine viewpoint so that we can gain further assurance of our salvation, not, not based on uh, our own works, but based on the finished work of Jesus Christ. And, you know, Christianity is a typical, uh, but wait, there's more. Many of us have seen those infomercials, right? You know, if you if you call now, you know you don't get just one pancake uh, flipper; you get two, right? there, But wait, there's more. And if you and if you call now, you're gonna get, you know, a cover for the pancake flipper. And we've seen those infomercials, but you know, all joking aside, you know, Christianity is 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 a but wait, there's more. And and one of the things that we find out. Um, when a person puts their faith in Christ is that we often understand so little of what's true of us now that we're saved. We, we understand so little of the uh, immeasurably prosperous position that we're now in. And so when we look uh, at the scriptures, uh, we're going to see that they speak of numerous blessings for the believer in Jesus Christ. The moment they trust in Christ, they get more. Than just heaven. They get more than just forgiveness of sins. They, they get a lot more, and that's because they were born rich. Believers are born rich, but oftentimes believers live in abject spiritual poverty because we're simply unaware of our riches. Consider some of the things that are true of us the moment we put our faith in Christ. The scriptures tell us that we are born into the family of God, that we become children of God. The scriptures tell us that we've been reconciled to God. That means we are taken from a place of an enemy and brought into the position of a friend. The scriptures tell us that we have been redeemed, that that Jesus Christ has paid the ransom price to free us from our sins. We know that our sins have been taken away, not just covered, not just uh, slid under the table. They've they've been taken away completely, and they've been completely forgiven. We see that when we trusted in Christ, we were made free from the law. The law it required uh, perfection, and so uh, when we measure ourselves up to the law, we realize that we don't measure measure up, and thus the law executes. The law, the penalty of sin or the wages of sin is death. When when one breaks the law, they deserve and incur a death penalty. And yet, uh, by trusting in Christ, we have been made free from the law. We've been adopted. We've been given a, a full inheritance, in other words. We'll talk a little bit more about that word uh, in another session. We've been accepted. Uh, we're no longer uh, on the outskirts with God. We're completely accepted members of of his family. We've been justified. We've been declared righteous by the courtroom of heaven. The one whose opinion matters declares that we are now righteous. The scriptures teach us that we're brought near. We're no longer far off. We're brought near. Scriptures teach us that we've been delivered from the powers of darkness. Scriptures teach us that we are um, partakers of the holy and royal priesthood. The scriptures teach that we have unhindered access to God. It teaches that we are heavenly citizens, that our citizenship is in heaven. It teaches us that we are united to Jesus Christ. It teaches us that we are complete in him. That means we're lacking nothing in Jesus Christ. And it teaches that we have eternal security. So in short, we've been given every spiritual blessing that exists. And that's exactly what Ephesians 1, 3 teaches us. And so it begs the question, we have all these blessings. How does God secure all these blessings in place? In other words, how can he guarantee all of these blessings and and how can he continue to guarantee them? Well, the first reason we want to look at is, is the fact that God has promised to guarantee and secure these blessings. He has given promises. He cannot break his word. Now, some of those promises for believers in Jesus Christ are the following. In fact, go with me to uh, John chapter three. We'll we we'll kind of flip to another passage there in John, but John 3, 16, very popular verse, but we know it well for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And so we see one of the promises of God is that believers Shall not perish, and what was the condition given in John three sixteen? It was whoever believes in Jesus Christ, he he is the one uh, who will not perish. And so there's a promise of God. John ten twenty eight gives us the same exact problem uh, promise. Excuse me with with uh, really strong language here because John. 1028 says, and I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. And, you know, that word never is, is a Greek double negation. Ume. It means never, no, not ever. It's the strongest way to say that something can't happen. And then as been pointed out before, uh, he also says there, I give them eternal life and they shall never Perish, there's also an additional phrase in the Greek, or original Greek text that's not translated there, which means, um, which basically describes into the ages or into uh, eternity. And so the idea is that they will never, no, not ever perish uh, ever is kind of the thrust that's given there in John 10, 10 28. That's a promise of God. That, that a believer, one who believes, one who's been given eternal life, which is life that lasts forever, will never perish, will never have to face the penalty for their sins. Again, why won't they? Because Jesus has already faced that penalty. He's already paid that penalty in full. Another promise from God. Believers shall never be separated from God's love. We find that in Romans chapter 8, verses 35 in through 39. Romans chapter 8 verses 35 through 39, which says this, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written for your sake, we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we see we shall never be separated from God's love, and that's based on the promise found in God's Word. A third promise. Believers are presently possess eternal life, which is life that lasts forever. John three sixteen said that, right? Whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but has eternal life. One of my one of my children, when they were memorizing this verse, for I used used to say in this verse that uh, they shall never perish, but have. Eternal, everlasting life. And I like that even better. She combined two words from two different translations, but that's what we're talking about. Life that never ends. First John 5.13 states the same exact thing. Let me go to 1 John 5.13, which reads this. These things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of the God. You see, again, the only request uh, requisite, prerequisite for salvation is going to be the, the believing is going to be uh, the, the object of faith is the son of God. So these things I've written to you who believe in the name of the son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And so the idea is that you, you presently possess life that goes on forever. And so if, believers presently possess eternal life and they can lose it 5 years from now then by definition it's not eternal if believers presently possess eternal life that lasts forever and yet they can lose it 20 years from now then that life is not eternal and so we see that that's a promise of God that believers presently possess eternal life a fourth promise of God is that believers are kept by the power of God in 1st peter 1 by the power of God. So it's important to note that if all we had was God's word and his promises, that would be enough, but we're going to see there's more.